Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Spring practice is over and now we begin the waiting game. The team will have some time off after the France trip, then report in June for summer classes and voluntary workouts. Coach John Beeline and his staff are on the recruiting trail right now and already looking ahead to next season. It's only been three weeks since the season ended in the national championship game, but look ahead they must. On today's game day segment, beat writer Brendan Quinn from The Athletic Detroit joins us with his thoughts on this past season and an early preview of what we might be able to expect next year. First, a few news and notes to get us started. We didn't learn much from spring practice about this year's team, and I think that's just fine. Too often we read too much into what we see for, you know, just a few hours during a spring game, if that's what you want to call it. Coach Harbaugh and his staff have a very good idea of where this team is and what they have to do in the offseason to be better this fall. Soon the preseason magazines will be out, BTN and ESPN will start forecasting the season ahead, and we will look with anticipation towards the opener in South Bend. Until then, let's enjoy some spring and summer and some of the other things we have going on on campus. Softball is doing what they seem to do every year, and that's just winning. Led by freshman pitching sensation Megan Bobian, the winningest pitcher in college softball, Coach Carol Hutchins has her team poised for another exceptional finish. And what about baseball? Coach Eric Bakich and his team, winners of 20 straight now. They aren't ranked yet, but they are in first place and in the hunt for a Big Ten title. And with that, hopefully a return to the NCAA tournament. A programming reminder before I forget, uh, beginning in May, we are on our summer schedule, which is every other week until August. Each month, I'll have a Michigan man extra for you, but there's never a set date for that. So when we do have one, I will give you a heads up on Twitter and Facebook. In August, we'll return to our weekly schedule in preparation for the upcoming football season. So, as I always say, we don't go away in May, June, and July. Just slow it down a bit and relax. This year, none of us knew what to expect from Coach B and his team. I thought if we made it to the NCAA tournament, it would be a darn good year. What a ride it turned out to be, and another brilliant coaching job from John Beeline. My guest today says this might be the best 10-year stretch of Michigan basketball ever, and I suppose that's debatable, but it is hard to argue with. Okay, we haven't won the big prize. Man, we have been close, and it has been a lot of fun. Beat writer Brendan Quinn from The Athletic Detroit joins us next here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Back with us on our game day segment to put the wraps to basketball season, maybe even look ahead to next season, is uh, the excellent writer who covers Michigan for the Athletic Detroit, Brendan Quinn. It's a pleasure to have you back, Brendan. Pleasure is mine. Now, before we get started on Michigan hoops, Brendan, every time I have you on the show, I get emails from, from folks that say, so that's where Brendan is. When did Brendan leave M Live and go to the Athletic Detroit? So uh-huh. just take a second, because I'm a, a morning or everyday reader of uh, the Athletic Detroit. After you went over there, I jumped over. Tell the folks a little bit about the site, the endeavor, 
and what makes it so unique? Okay, so uh, the athletic it started as um, as kind of a Silicon Valley startup. Uh, what now, two or three years ago, um, and went from Chicago to Toronto uh, to Cleveland and to Detroit, and and since then uh, I came on board last July, June or July. Uh, since then, has now expanded to over twenty cities. Um, it's it's probably the, the fastest growing uh, sports media entity in the country. Um, the thing that makes us different is that we are subscription-based and ad-free. So subscribers are literally out of pocket paying for what they are reading. Um, you know, my, my travel through the entire basketball season for Michigan and Michigan State was paid for by our subscribers. Um, it is uh, kind of a grassroots operation. I mean, we have um, a, a lot of financial backing uh our corporate offices has developed and that kind of pays for the salaries of, of a huge staff that has come aboard some of the most talented writers in the country. Um, and with that, you know, because we are not um, kind of beholden to clicks and <laughs> drawing ad revenue and, and basically the model that is very, very hard to sustain and, ma- and maintain um, that, that other news outlets have to, have to kind of deal with, we get to cover sports, I think, a different way, and we only really write longer form, in-depth pieces. Um, we're lucky enough to not have to kind of handle um, the, the the daily every piece of news that comes out. Which you know, there's a place for that, and I did that for a very long time. I'm not. I think there's room in the market for for everyone who does everything. So um, we just do it this way. And uh, so, if you're into longer writing, longer profile writing, longer feature writing. Um, that's what we do, and that's uh, that's kind of where I've always hung my hat, and it's really great to kind of have a place that that's all they ask me to do. So uh, that's that's where we're at. It's been really successful. This year was enormously fruitful. You know, Michigan going to the Final Four really it drove uh, it drove our subscription numbers through the roof. We we couldn't have anticipated it, and uh, it went really really well. So if anyone's interested, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at uh, BF Quinn and. Uh, I'll try to dig up a good subscription deal and send it your way and, and get you on board or send you a free uh, free trial. Very good. And we'll mention that in our show notes also. But yes, I uh, in- encourage listeners to check it out. It is well worth it. So uh, we'll get that link up on the uh, on the site too, or on the show notes, I should say. Well, Thanks, Brendan, Mark. let us talk about uh, some Michigan basketball items. Of course, it's been, a, yeah. I think, three weeks ago tonight. We're recording on Monday that uh, the season wrapped up. And I think it's all maybe sinking in now what happened and what an incredible run it was for this team. In the news, of course, has been uh, the fact that Mo Wagner declared for the draft. And, of course, no one's surprised about that. You did a piece recently on Mo's travel through time here at Michigan. Great piece. And it was about his evolution from a, a young teenager in Berlin to three years later uh, here on the big stage in Ann Arbor. He truly, truly has come a long way, Brendan. Yeah, uh, and that that story started with, you know, basically, I mean, I've written the, the Mo Wagner origin story like 5,000 ways, <laughs> 5,000 times it seems like in his three years, and I was just trying to find a unique uh, spin on it and, uh, and thought back to... Um, I believe that when I was still at M Live, we we had his first communication with with any U.S. news outlet, and it was I was able to find an email address for him when he was still you know a 17 year old in Berlin playing for 
Alba Berlin, the, the pro club there. And I, I found his email address. I got it from a guy in Germany and, uh, and I emailed him some questions and, and he responded. And it's, it, it was just jarring to read the email that he sent as a 17 year old um, comparative to the letter that he wrote in the Players' Tribune as kind of his swan song, Farewell, um, which I really do think was mostly written himself. Like, I'm sure he got some editing help and got some crafting help from the Players' Tribune. That's what they do. But um, I'm under the impression that that was very much just his writing. And, I mean, it really just showed a guy that grew up a tremendous amount in three years. And everything from his ability to, to deal with English to... Um, I think his view on the world and something that's always kind of jarred me about Mo over the years is he would always say things like, you know, oh, I'm just a boy and I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, I, I can't handle these responsibilities. I'm, he would always say, I'm just a boy. I'm just a boy. And like that alongside other college basketball players who were all in such a hurry to grow up, you know, they're all the man. They want to go pro and da, 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 da. It was it was always just so interesting to me, and I think this year was the first year he didn't really use that crutch too much. He would say, I, "I'm a kid. I like to have fun," but he would never call himself a boy. And I think he did realize the responsibility that was on his shoulders as both a pro prospect and the best player on the basketball team, and someone who's about to enter the real world, and a guy who's about to turn 21. So I, I think that that's really what this year marked, and uh, I think he took more responsibility for himself. And in his game, um, if you just look at his defense and rebounding, I think that all speaks to kind of the evolutionary track that he really kind of turned a gear on uh, this past year. Well, and I know fans, a lot of fans uh, still are asking, is he ready? Uh, He went last year, he tested it out at the Combine, he went through the process and, of course, came back. So as far as his draft stock goes, and I know this is a tough question, did he help himself by coming back this year, Brendan? Oh, I definitely think he did. Um without a doubt. I, I, he got up to, um, I mean, his, his rebounding as a sophomore was awful. Um, it was inconsistent. It, I mean, it was a major, major black eye. And this year, I think he just, he, he worked his way to, to getting more rebounds that, that he never even got his hand on in the past. Um, there were very few games, you know, where he would have three boards, it happened once or twice, but th- that was the problem that, you know, in past years, it would be two, three, four, three. You know, it's this awful, awful rebounding. Well, you know, he he got, I think, 10 or more rebounds in like seven or eight games, something like that. Um, he had 15 against Loyola, and that was undersized, whatever, but he had 13, I think, against Nebraska in the conference tournament. Um, you know, he... He proved to be a serviceable rebounder. His defense improved. He put on more weight, more bulk. He's up to 244 pounds. Um, he's never going to be an, a, a above-average athlete, um, but I think he showed more. I think he showed more consistency. You, know, you have to remember, last year he was still mm-hmm. – he, he really wasn't a pro prospect in the beginning of the year at all. He kind of came on as the year went. Um, you know, this year he, he went into it. No, you know, kind of with a professional mindset, knowing he was being watched every time out there. And I think he undoubtedly helped himself. I think he would have been a mid to late second round pick this year or last year. I think this year, based on the conversations I've had with uh, NBA personnel, front office folks, some scouts, things like that, I'm getting the indication that he will be a late first round 
for early to mid-second round. Mid-second round being, I think, the worst-case scenario for him. I think he could be early second round with a guaranteed contract, which is becoming more common. Um, it just it made sense for him to leave this year, and it made sense for him to come back last year. Well, of course, we'll see in the coming weeks how it all plays out for Mo, and we all wish him the very best of luck. It was a great three years, a lot of fun being around Mo and watching Mo uh, develop over the last three years. Now, some may have been surprised Charles Matthews decided to uh, to declare Brendan. I'm sure he's doing pretty much the same thing that Mo did last year, testing the waters, going through the process. But it seems also the odds are pretty good he'll be back next year, don't you think? Yeah, well, so most of the, most of the as I mentioned, the, play, the player personnel guys, scouts, front office guys, they, they all said, you know, yes, he should come out. He should certainly test the waters. He should go through the process. He should see what it's like. Uh, he should get the feedback um, that that is available to him. So I think he's going to go through that process. I, I don't think he's going to hear enough that will make it worthwhile for him to leave um, because there's going to be things that he can't rectify in workouts. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what what I mean by that is his 50% free throwing free throw shooting number is a major major black eye and you can't just go out and shoot free throws in a workout and say see I'm a, I'm a better free throw shooter like teams need to see him go and shoot at least 65 percent next year um just get that into a to a reasonable number um so there's that there's the three-point shooting needs to come up a little bit from 31 percent the ball handling needs to improve the turnovers need to go down and those are things that have to happen, I think, in-game action. I, I just don't think that he can go through workouts and stand out enough that someone will say, yeah, we're going to look at you late in the first round or something like that. There's, there's just gonna, There just needs to be, I think, more kind of empirical evidence of him being a better player and a pro than is there right now. You know, this was his first year, full year playing in basically three years. So, you know, there's no shame in playing another year coming back, but... Um, you know, his ball handling needs to be better. His passing needs to be better. He needs to play with his head up. Um, he needs to be a better shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he can do all those things. I mean, I think he will be a central point of the offense. I think John will put him in more ball screen stuff next year. Um, and he'll get another year, another offseason in the system. And I'm sure John would prefer him to be in there working right now, you know, with Sanderson and, and those guys as opposed to maybe running around doing some draft stuff. But you know what, this is the evolution of, of players nowadays. This is what it looks like. So I think he should go through the process. I think he's made the right call, but I do think he will be back. Well, Brenda, when you and I talked in December, it was just after you had done a piece where you were behind the scenes for 24 hours with the team. Great piece, by the way. At that time, I think it's safe to say if anyone read that or was watching Michigan basketball, <laughs> we never saw this run coming, did we? No, no, not, not at all. I mean, they didn't know a point guard yet. Uh, that was the trip in that 24 hour window. It was after they lost to LSU and leading into the game against Chaminade. And that was, um, that was the prep when Beeline decided to pull Xavier out of the uh, starting lineup and go with Eli Brooks. And I mean, people forget, but I think Eli started 10 games. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, I mean, he was, I think even more than that, maybe, maybe 11 or 12. Um, I mean, he was the starting point guard for a chunk of the season, a quarter of the season. Um, you know, th- this was 
this is very much a wayward ship for a long time. You look back at Duncan Robinson. I mean, he was a non-factor for maybe the first half of the year. Um, he just he couldn't shoot. He was shooting about 31, 32% on threes. His defense was still a liability. Um, you know, he, 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 didn't, he didn't really give you anything. And, I mean, he was crucial for the second half of the year. I, I don't think they go where they got to without him. Um, you know, you go, you go right down the list on, on guys. You know, Charles Matthews, even though he was scoring points, I don't think he was really playing within the offense um, early on. It was just kind of him just playing one-on-one. And I think his season went off the rails a little bit when they tried to integrate him more into what they were doing, and it got in his head a little bit. Um, you know, Isaiah Livers, he ended up starting 22 games in the year, and he didn't play early on. Uh, John Teske ended up being a guy who was a, a game-changing presence in a lot of games early on, and people knew nothing about it early on. You know, at that point in the season, we were still trying to figure out when Jerron Simmons was going to come around, mm-hmm. and that was something that never happened. I mean, this year was so bizarre on so many levels um, that it will certainly go down in, in the – in the books. And I do wonder if they had won the game, it would have made a hell of a book, but you know, maybe, maybe someday. Um, but you know, I, I couldn't have foreseen it. Um, and I, I do think it speaks to two things and it's one of it is, um, you know, these guys who trust coaching and going through the process and the kind of having faith in what this thing's going to look at, look like when uh, it's smoothed over and everyone kind of knows their role. Um, that's when teams come together under under John and in this system. And the other thing is you can't plan for something like the draw that Michigan had. And this is not to discredit them. This is not to say, you know, this was not a, an amazing run by any means, but you only get so many times where you're going to get the draw that Michigan got. Right. And so as a coach, it's one of those things, if you get to the tournament every year, at some point, you get good breaks, like Michigan had this year. You know, Montana, Houston, Texas A&M, Florida State, Loyola, to reach the national championship game. There's some good teams in there. Don't get me wrong. But that's, that's not bad. I think most, every coach in the country would take, take that five-game stretch to have a, have a shot at winning a national championship. And the point is, if you get there every year, at some point you get that draw. And when you get the draw – you got to take advantage of it. And Michigan did it. And, you know, that is, I think, what, you know, uh, guys like Izzo and Krzyzewski and Bill Self and all this stuff, they get there every year. And sometimes you get a good road and you ride it. And, uh, and you know, Michigan, to its credit, it got there this year. I didn't even know if they were going to be a tournament team early on. Um, but, you know, they turned into one. And they took advantage of the opportunity that was in front of them. Well, that's exactly right. I think in December when you wrote that piece, when you were behind the scenes with the team, that's what I thought. I, at that point, I was thinking, I don't know what we have, but if he can get this team into the tournament, hey, this is a pretty good season. But, you know, when, sure. you, re- when you look back on the season right now, was there a moment or a game or a series of games during the season where you thought, you know what? This team might be evolving into something pretty special. Um, the win, the win at Michigan State, was definitely the kind of stamp of approval from from me. Um, 
you know, that was that was a gutsy win. They held Michigan State, I think it was like the 70 points or 72 points on their home floor. Um, and that was a Michigan State team that wanted nothing more, wanted nothing more than to stomp them into oblivion. And, you know, Michigan showed, I think that was the day that it kind of puffed its chest out a little bit. And they were, they were some tough dudes in that game. Um, so that was very much my point where I said, okay, you know, they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. It was coming off the loss to Purdue. It would have been easy to crack at that time. And instead, you know, they, they got, they might've gotten robbed a little bit in that Purdue game on that last minute call. Um, and to come back and win the next game at Michigan state, because if you remember, I think that was Purdue was ranked fifth in the country. Michigan state was ranked like fourth or third in the mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. So you had back to back top five games. And it was, you know, if you can split them, it's a huge, huge win. Um, and after the last second loss to Purdue, you kind of chalked it up as, okay, they're going to go 0-2. So, you know, to get out of that stretch um, with one win, that was – and then they came back, and I think that was when they beat Maryland after they were down by, like, 20. Uh, they came back and they won that game and then just, you know, laid an egg at, at, at Nebraska. But uh, I think that was the stretch when you really started to see them. And then soon after that, I think um, – it was like the next game or two was when they went to Purdue and it had their best offensive game of the year in um, a loss. But the interesting thing about that Purdue game in hindsight, and I was thinking about this last week is that, you know, that game ended up kind of being a, uh, or I think maybe creating a miscalculation of what this team is, because that was a game when it showed all this, you know, quote unquote offensive potential. And they said, man, if they can be this team, you know, well, they could go deep in the tournament and they do that. But it completely clouded the fact and I think um, misled some people on what this team is. This was a defensive team. Yes. This is a team you didn't, you didn't, they didn't want to go, they, were, they didn't need to go out and score 85 to win. It was, that was never their bread and butter. It was always controlling the other team's offense and, and winning games that way. Um, that's that's how they did it. I think they allowed like four teams scored seventy-seven or more points, or, or seventy-three or more against Michigan this year. That's it. Four teams scored over seventy-three points, and Michigan lost all four of those games. Um, you know, for a team that went thirty-three and eight, that says what they were. Right? They weren't. They were not the two thousand thirteen team. They weren't the two thousand fourteen team of go out and score. And that I think that Purdue game maybe confused some folks or, or thought that this is how they need to win, but that that wasn't it. So I mean that was kind of a long answer to a simple question, but I think that five game window, uh, Michigan, you know, from basically the, the the first Purdue game to the second Purdue game, I think they played about six games there, and uh, that's definitely I think kind of the fulcrum maybe of the of the year. Talking to a lot of fans since the season ended, it's uh, it's always interesting to get fans' take, especially when you make it to the national championship game and how many schools and how many teams never get to that point. But I just don't hear the appreciation I think fans should have, Michigan fans, for Coach John Beeline and what he has accomplished in his 11 years at this school. It is absolutely amazing, Brendan. Yeah, I mean, I wrote it... I'm trying to think. I think it was after after the win against Florida State in the Elite Eight. 
Um, I, I went back to the team hotel and I kind of got was able to get John one on one for a little bit, and we talked about um, you know deep down how much did he think about or worry about never getting back because that's the thing. I mean, you can have great teams all take this one bad day and you lose in the NCAA tournament, and you know so he knows as well as anybody just how difficult it is to get to the final four. And when we talked that day or that night, I should say it was about one in the morning. Um, he, he honestly said, you know, I would, I'd be fine. I would be fine if I never made it back, you know, because he's such a system oriented guy where it was something that was easy not to believe, but I did believe him in that moment that he would have been okay if he never got back. The interesting thing is I don't think Michigan fans would have been okay if he never got back, even if he, you know, kept on this clip that he's got going of winning. You know, you look at basically since 2012, right? Since right. 2012, they've won like 24 games, 31. Uh, they won 28 games the Elite Eight year. And then the last three years, they won 23 and made it in the tournament. Then they won 26, made it to the Sweet 16. And this year, they won 33 and made it to the Final Four. Um, I mean, this is maybe, I mean, I'd have to sit down and look at the historical context of it in terms of, you know, those Kazi Russell years and whatnot. But, you know, this is the first or second best stretch in the history of Michigan basketball. They've been playing for over 100 years. So, you know, I don't know what else the guy has to do. Um, sometimes I wonder if basketball is held up to an absurd standard because it's a football school and that maybe people don't understand how difficult it is or don't appreciate how difficult it is. I don't know. That probably wouldn't endear me to a lot of your listeners saying that, but um, I've always kind of been struck by um, – how people view John. And I think a lot of it goes to the obsession over recruiting and, um, and not really have grasping uh, how difficult it is to win every year in basketball. Um, it's exceedingly difficult. And I don't think anyone ever really appreciated how much personnel this program lost in that two year window after the final four. Um, it's really hard to rebuild that way. And the, teams that rebuild only by just getting more one-and-done players. I didn't see any of them in San Antonio. You know, I think what Michigan does and what Villanova is doing, that's the way to play college basketball right now. If I'm one of these coaches, okay, if you see one surefire five-star All-American who is very interested in your program and will only be there for a year, fine. Recruit them, bring them in, absolutely never turn away talent. But if that's the only thing you're basing most of your recruiting on, I think it's a losing strategy now. It just, you might hit, you know, you might get it in a jar one year and, and be able to do it, but it is so hard year over year to start over. And, you know, John is a guy that I think he tempted, he got tempted by it a little bit after the Final Four when they were able to get in with kids that they didn't previously. Um, but I think he saw the error of where that led. Because if you miss those kids, you got to take your second or third tier kids. And I think they're better off just doing exactly what they're doing right now. They get the kids that fit what they do, ratings be damned, and put them in the system and and go from there. So um, I think what 
John Beeline has done at Michigan is um, probably one of the most impressive 10-year windows anywhere that you'll find in college basketball. Um, you know, Jay Wright probably has the, the, the number one with a bullet right now. But um, John's right there. He's right in the conversation. He's one of the best coaches in the country. And, and the other thing being, for what this year represented as a uh, kind of thunderclap for college basketball of, of the issues in this game, mm-hmm. the fact that Michigan was able to go and do what they did this year um, without having to worry about what was about to come spilling out of a closet somewhere should not be overlooked or underappreciated. Well, you know, looking ahead to next season, uh, if Charles Matthews is back, and I'm thinking he's coming back, does Michigan right Mm -hmm. now, do you think, have the pieces to be an upper-tier Big Ten going into the season? Yeah, yeah, upper-tier Big Ten, I think, I feel like I say it every year, like, I think they're going to finish third or fourth in the year in the league and be, you know, maybe a second weekend team in the NCAA tournament. Um, The fact that you go into basically every year saying that that's the possibility probably speaks to what this program is. Um, but a lot of it, there are a lot of question marks. Uh, you know, Xavier, Xavier Simpson needs to lock down his offense a little bit more. Um, I think he just needs to be a more reliable offensive player. And I know a lot of people think David DeJulius is going to come in and take that job from him. I think David DeJulius would have to pry that starting job out of Xavier Simpson's cold, dead hand <laughs> before he starts a game uh, at, at the school right now. I, I, Xavier's defense is so good, um, and I think he is going to ultimately be more than a capable offensive player. Uh, so I don't see that happening at, at the point guard spot, but he's got to be better. Um, this incoming freshman class is as fascinating as as John has probably had since the McGarry Robinson Stauskas group, what you know, what he's going to do with John's and Brodzikas position-wise is, I think, one of the best and most interesting storylines of the season uh, or of the off-season. You know, you only have John Teske and Austin Davis in the middle. I don't think you can count on 40 minutes per game out of those two. So, um, what are you going to do? Are they going to work with Brodzikas as a kind of stretch five um, in a Mo Wagner sense? Um, is Colin Castleton actually ready to play? I mean, he's very skilled, but he's also, I think, like 210 pounds. I mean, he's Mo Wagner as a freshman. Yeah. So and we all remember Mo Wagner as a freshman. There were a lot of DNPs in there. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't be ready to kind of count on that. So is there the possibility of some small ball with maybe Brodzikas at the five or John's at the five. And then, you know, your livers at the four Matthews at the three pool at the two Simpson or Brooks or DeJulius at the one, that'd be a really interesting lineup to see. Um, so how are they kind of view these guys? Um, I would sure love to know. So uh, we'll see. Um, I think there's a lot of talent though. Ignis Brodzikas, I was speaking to an NBA scout who saw him uh, this, this uh, spring who loves him, loves him, loves him. Um, he has loads of talent. I think he's going to be very, very good here. Uh, Brandon Johns, I've been very high on for a very long time. I always thought he was kind of going to ultimately be a blue chip recruit, um, you know, with Kansas's and Kentucky's and Dukes going after him. and never really got to that point, but I think he has that talent. Um, and, and Adrian Nunez is probably going to be a bit of a, a, a 
freewheeling shooter. Uh, he can do a lot of things. Um, yeah, I, I have to see more of him, but he, he's got a solid game, but he's a very, very strong shooter, and he has an extra year as a prep student um, this past year. So he's going to come in a year older maybe than, than a typical freshman. Um, but, you know, what kind of step is Jordan Poole ready to take? It's a big question. You know, I mean, for – for Muhammad Ali, Abdul Rahman, and Duncan Robinson to be um, be what they were in terms of reliability, uh, I think everyone's going to really appreciate <laughs> how good and consistent, especially Muhammad was yeah, yeah. Uh, for over the years. To lose, you know, 35 minutes a game that he gave you is uh, is quite a blow. And you know, Jordan Poole gets to stay within his game. You know, and he just has to kind of grow up and learn how to be a basketball player. And it's going to be a big off season for him. So we'll see. There's a lot of questions, but but there's a lot of talent. And I think there's a lot of talent that fits what John does. And uh, I, I'm fairly high on him next year. I think the top four team in the league. I, I, I certainly think NCAA tournament is, is back within reach. Well, it was a wonderful run this year. I know as Michigan fans, it was a surprise, but we enjoyed it every step of the way. And when you look at the future, it looks bright. So we can just relax, enjoy summer and, get into football season and we know it's going to be a a fun basketball season again with coach b and his team so every step of the way from december until uh now when we wrap it up brendan it's uh it's been great having you on the show we'll have the uh the link up on our show notes page so folks can uh try out the uh, athletic detroit i mean it is uh, just outstanding as i said it's one of my morning stops with my coffee each and every morning to see what's happening not only with michigan but the entire sports world it just is a You've got to check it out to actually see it. it uh, if you're a sports fan and don't like to, as you said, get caught up in the clickbait and the ads, it is a great thing. So check it out. You enjoy the summer. Take some time off. And we look forward to our next visit, Brendan. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure talking, man. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. On Quick Hits today, softball swept Maryland last weekend, winning their 14th in a row. On Sunday, freshman pitcher Megan Bobian tossed her third no-hitter of the year and was just one walk away from a perfect game. She is 28-2 on the season and the winningest pitcher in college softball right now. They are 38-7 overall, 13-1 in the Big Ten, and head down to Bloomington this weekend for a showdown with second-place Indiana. Baseball made it 20 in a row, school record with a weekend sweep of Penn State. They are 24-11 overall, 13-0 in the Big Ten. They will take their streak on the road this weekend for a three-game set with Iowa. Don't forget our free show app is available from the iTunes and Google Play stores. You can also hear us on Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Wolverine Sports Radio. If you get the show from iTunes, please take a minute to rate or comment on the show. We thank you in advance. Once again, a reminder that beginning in May, we are on our summer programming schedule. That's two shows a month. I'll always throw in a Michigan Man Extra and give you a heads up on Facebook and Twitter when that publishes. So we'll be back on our weekly schedule in August when we get ready for the start of another football season. So that will do it for another edition of The Michigan Man. We'll be back on May 9th with our next show. Until then... 
Have a great Michigan week, everyone. Enjoy spring here in Southeast Michigan, if it ever gets here. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!